When Julie and I lived in Fernandina Beach, we were newly married. Uh, I was just out of seminary, and we'd been married two and a half years or so. We lived in a town, rented a townhome there, but we were always interested in the housing market and maybe buying a house. And so we asked a lot of questions. We tried to stay tuned into the housing market uh, at Amelia Island. And in that process, we found out about a home builder who had gotten involved in kind of a scandal uh, and eventually got sued. What happened is when he was clearing the lots for the houses that he was going to build, he didn't carry all of the debris off. He buried some of the tree stumps and the, the debris, not in the yard, but under where he was going to build the house. So you didn't know this until years later when those tree stumps and branches began to rot and then the house began to shift and the foundation began to crack and the walls began to crack as what was underneath started to give way. We've been in this series called Life and we've been looking at individual areas of our life. And we've been asking, how, how do I bring this area in line with what God wants? How do I bring this area in line with what God taught in the scriptures? It's been very helpful and it's a great way to, to approach the different areas of our life. But there is, a, there is a question that if we get right can help us solve all of those individual questions. And there's one sort of foundational level Question. It's not a magic question. It, it doesn't solve everything maybe in our life, but, but it gives us the best opportunity to bring our life in line with, with what God wants. And it's, it's the simple question, what am I building my life on? Like all of these individual areas, we talked about family and, and we talked about friends and finances and career and, and several other areas. What am I setting each of those individual areas on? What is the foundation of my life? And if, if you made this uh, a personal exercise to dig down through your life until you get to what's really at the bottom, chances are you'd move fairly quickly at the beginning. Pretty, it'd be fairly easy at the beginning to say, well, this is... A part of my life, I like it, but it's not the foundation of my life. You know, this is a great area. It's an important area, but like all my hope is not in that. All of my confidence is not in that. But the closer you got to the bottom, the more challenging it would probably be. Because there would be areas that you would have to decide between. And, and, and maybe even identifying our own capacity for self-deception the closer we get to the bottom. Because there may be some things that we say, well, I, I want this to be the foundation, but if I'm honest about how I spend my time and my energy and my effort and what I'm really doing with my life, it's probably not. What are you building your life on? Now, for a lot of us, this becomes clear when the storms of life come. I mean, that's when we really find out what our lives are built on, right? When the wind starts to blow and the, the storm comes in, there's a tragedy, there's an unexpected turn in our life, and we're forced to admit, boy, I was counting on this. I put so much stock into this, and it's not going to sustain me. 
whether it was a relationship or a career or money itself or my own health and happiness. I thought this would last forever. And then we get that moment where we're confronted with this is not going to last forever. This cannot be the foundation of my life. Jesus' longest sermon message that we're given in the Bible comes in Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's the second part of the Bible. We call it a gospel. It's good news about Jesus. It's the life of Jesus. Matthew is telling the story. Matthew was a tax collector, and Jesus invited him to be one of his followers, and Matthew became one of his disciples. He's writing Matthew, and between chapter 5 and chapter 7, three chapters worth, we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And some of you are familiar with that, and some of you may be aren't, but it has some of Jesus' most recognizable teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. For example, what we call the Beatitudes, it's, it's a list where Jesus says, you'll be blessed, you'll be fulfilled, happy if you do this, like blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. That all comes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Then from there, Jesus teaches on topics like uh, adultery and loving your enemies, and caring for the poor, and worry, just kind of one topic after another, Jesus works his way through. Some of Jesus' most familiar teaching comes in the Sermon on the Mount. For example, the phrase, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, as is, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And if you've been in church, you probably heard some of those verses. The Lord's Prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. So all of this incredibly well-known, deep, genuine, sometimes very tender teaching comes in the Sermon on the Mount. But when Jesus gets to the end, he chooses to end the Sermon on the Mount in an interesting way. And I don't know what preaching class Jesus took in seminary, but this is not what you're taught to do. I mean, the way he wraps this up is not really according to the textbook. Because Jesus ends with, translating into the English, the words are a great crash. He's talking about our lives. Your life is going to be a great crash. And he drops the mic and he walks off stage and it's over. Which again, nobody teaches you to end a message that way. That's not even a good way to end a message. You want to end a message with an encouragement, right? Like boosting people up. If you preach a really good message, you give out a commitment card. You have everybody sign it and say something that they committed to that day. I recommitted my life to it. And then they bring it to the front and they put it on the front, uh, or, or you use the everyone's head bowed, every eye closed uh, line, right? That's a good way to end a message. No one looking around. If you want to commit your life to Jesus, raise your hand where nobody can see because Jesus needs secret disciples, doesn't he? That's a good way. That's the way we, that's the way we end it. Or you can end it with a song, right? Have a good song Have everybody join hands, sway back and forth, sing like a really nice heartfelt song. If you're really into it, everybody raise your hands up like this. 
All of these good ways Jesus could have ended the message. And he does it. And we'll read all of his words in just a minute. But let me sum it up. Jesus says, if you don't hear and do what I've been saying, your life is going to fall apart one day. Which is not real inspiring. I mean, if I got to the end of a message and said, unless you do every single thing I said today, your life's going to crash and burn. You'd probably go somewhere else next Sunday. Because it's just not the way you end a message. But that's exactly the way Jesus ended the message. There was nothing that anyone went away with and tweeted after his message that day. But here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I'm not kidding about these things I'm telling you. I'm not just talking to hear myself talk. I'm not just trying to put together this nice, warm, fuzzy, inspirational message. I want you to know I'm serious about this. And your life and your eternity depends on you getting this. Don't just walk away from what I've said. Here are the words that he used. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Last analogy he's going to give. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Notice, Jesus, who's building up to, look, this is the way to have a foundation that will last. He says, you've, you've got to hear what I say, and you've got to, you've got to do it. It's not the person that just hears and then walks away and isn't changed. It's the person that hears and does something with what I'm saying that's truly going to be changed, that is truly going to lay a foundation for their life that everything else can be built upon. James is the younger brother of Jesus. He writes a book that's almost at the end of the Bible, really small book called the book of James. He must have heard Jesus teaching along these lines because he writes in James chapter 1, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's like this is what my big brother said. Jesus, he was the Messiah. And and I'm saying it the way he would say it. Don't just listen. Be changed. Do something. If your dad was like my dad, he would often say, I'm not just talking to hear myself talk. What that meant was he had told us something to do that we had not done yet. And he was reminding us he did not just give that instruction for his help, that we were supposed to follow what he said. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to hear it, and I want you to know I'm serious. I want you to change. We have a habit in the culture that we live in, of being passive receivers of information. And part of the problem is we get so much information all the time. They're constantly getting new messages and new messages, and we can't possibly respond to all of those messages, so we become passive receivers. We hear it, or we read it, or we scroll past it, but we don't ever do anything. And obviously, you can't respond to every piece of information that you get. How many of you have 2,000 unread emails 
in your email box right now. God bless you. Every, exactly, I do too. Exactly. If I showed you my phone, big number. Bottom right corner, big number. How many of you are totally freaked out that somebody has that many unread? Yes, I know you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get it. I get the lecture all the time. We get so much information, so much spam and advertising, and we think, oh, I can't respond to that, and I can't respond to that, and I don't have to respond to that, and I'm not going to respond to that. In some ways, we become this passive receiver of information. We just get stuff and get stuff. We don't ever do anything. And Jesus said, I don't want you to be that way when it comes to what Jesus says. When it comes to the instructions he gave and the life he's calling us to do, he says, I don't want you to just receive this passively and go away and nothing ever change. I want you to be different. James, again, little brother, he follows the line that I read just a minute ago in James chapter 1 with this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I don't know what any of you look like in the mornings. Thank goodness. I'm sure you're quite beautiful and handsome and put together and you like pop out of bed with fresh breath and hairs in place. That's awesome. That's not my experience personally. And I, I, I find my way to the bathroom and there's two big mirrors, his and hers. There is no escaping what it looks like early in the morning. The hair, the face, the one eye that can't quite open with the other eye. And James says, at that moment, you got a choice to make. If that's you, if that's me, you got a choice. You can walk right back out of the bathroom and forget all about it. Now you just leave it, forget what you saw, forget what was there, just going about your day as if everything is fine. Or... What everybody who meets you that day hopes is that you look in the mirror and you say, something needs to be done about this. <laughs> this is not presentable. Something with just a little bit of change, a little bit of work, something needs to be done. And James says, look, th this is the way the spiritual life is. You're going to hear from God sometimes. He's going to speak to you through His Word. You're going to be confronted, and you're not going to like it sometimes. You're going to be confronted with your behavior or your attitude or your motives or your lack of action in some area. You're going to be confronted with that, and every single time you have a decision, you can do something, or you can walk away and forget it. Jesus begins His closing analogy by saying, don't be a passive hearer. Don't look in the mirror and walk away. Don't hear from me and do nothing. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And just from that ending, there's a couple of things we got to wrestle with. One is the exclusivity of Jesus in this moment. 
mean, this is one of many times when Jesus says, there's not a hundred different ways to have a solid foundation. There's not ten different truth systems that will hold you up when life gets hard. There just aren't. There's Jesus, and there's everything else. And then we're in an age of, of tolerance and inclusiveness. Jesus did not teach in that way. Jesus said very clearly, for our good, He said, look, the choice is me and everything else. You can build your life on me, or you can pick anything else. But everything else will not sustain you during the deep times of life. So he says, look, I need you to let my words, who I am, sink deeply into your life and your heart and your soul. I need you to let it change you. Now, the other thing Jesus confronts us with is, is this exclusivity, Jesus, everything else, and then you and I have to make a choice. We all have to make a choice, and I can't make a choice for you, and you can't make a choice for me. I can't make a choice for my kids or my wife. Every single person has to choose, and Jesus said, you're going to choose rock or you're going to choose sand. That's the choice. Jesus, everything else, rock. Sand and rock and sand sound kind of like a no-brainer, right? I mean, if the choices are rock, which is solid, sand, which is not solid, well, obvious, we want to choose the rock. Most of us go to the beach once or twice or ten times during the year, whatever, whatever we can afford and however much time we can get away. We all go to the beach, and typically if your family goes to the beach or if you go with a group of people, there is a designated setter-upper, Right? Are, are any of you the designated setter-upper when, you, when your family goes to the beach? Yes, God bless you. I see those hands. Yes, I'm the designated setter-upper too, so I, I'm like you. The designated setter-upper is responsible for getting everything out on the beach so that it won't blow away. And so the setter-uppers who are, who are with us today, these are trained professionals. They know that you can't just throw stuff out on the sand. And it be there when you come back. You got you to dig down deep. You got to put sand on top. You got to wet the sand, put some more sand and wet the sand as a process. You got to follow the process. Maybe some stakes and ropes. Maybe some homemade sandbags. Hold this puppy down. Because we've all seen about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, we've all seen the umbrella go blowing down the beach, haven't we? People dodging it so nobody gets impaled by the umbrella pole. Beach setter-uppers, we know sand can't be trusted. Like sand, sand can't be trusted to really hold things down. It, even when we secure it and the wind blows, somebody, probably not a setter-upper, is going to yell, somebody grab the umbrella. And that's why I'm not only the designated setter-upper, I'm also the designated sit close to the umbrella when the wind's blowing and hold the pole so that it doesn't blow away, or right? That's also, <laughs> that's a part of the role. It's part of it, right there. I got it. I got it. The wind's too strong. I'm there. Because sand can't be trusted. It seems like, seems like you can leave it there. You can't. You can't leave it there. So you dig holes and you, you support and you hold down. 
Now, the problem for Jesus' audience, and he knew this, this is why he's using this analogy, similar to us, sometimes what is unsecure looks secure, right? Sometimes what's unstable can look stable. In the Middle East, just kind of like in Georgia, with our red clay, if it's, if, if it's dry enough long enough, if it's hot enough long enough, if people walk across dirt long enough, that sucker's hard, right? I mean, it's like concrete. And you think, well, that's solid right there. But given time, given wind, given rain, given flood, it's going to give way. Our lives are like that. There are things that on the one hand we know I cannot build my life around that. I can't set my life on that. But then we just think, boy, but, I, but it looks solid this time. But it looks like it will hold me this time. It, it, it looks like I can build on top of this, this relationship, this goal, this job, my health, my happiness. It looks, like I can, it looks like I can put everything on that. And Jesus says, no. There's only one person that's steady and stable and secure and can be counted on, and his name's Jesus. Because no matter how solid the sand looks, you've got to remember that the wind blows on all the houses. And the wind blows on all the houses. No matter what they're built on, the wind is going to blow. Anybody hear the wind Tuesday night? Y'all, y'all, y'all hear trees down? Anybody have power out? I read an article that said in North Georgia, there were two small tornadoes Tuesday night. And I'm thinking, like, what's a small tornado? <laughs> if it's a tornado, it's not small. If it hits my house, it's not a small tornado. Who would call something a small tornado? Tuesday night is just crazy wind. Here's the thing about the wind. The wind doesn't discriminate where it blows. The floods do not discriminate on where they rise. The rain does not discriminate on where it falls. It blows on every house. The brick house and the wooden house and the stucco house. And the house with the porch and the house with the basement. And the house without the porch and without the basement, the house with the shingle roof, the house with the metal roof, the big house, the small house, the medium-sized house, every single house, the wind blows on, the rain falls on. I mean, Jesus did not even say, look, if you build your house on me, no wind, no problems, no struggles, no tragedy, no rain, no flood. Jesus said, it doesn't matter where you build your house, wind's going to come. The storm's going to blow. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the one line that's repeated in both scenarios, verse 25 and verse 27, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. The one that's on the rock and the one that's on the stand. The, the storm is going to come. The question is, is the house going to stand? And the answer is determined by what the house is built on. I don't know if you spent much time in the Old Testament book of Ezra lately. 
kind of hidden, tucked away little book. Kind of catch you up historically. The nation of Israel had rejected God, walked away from the things of God. Uh, as a result, they had been overtaken by the Babylonians, been carried away into captivity. When the book of Ezra opens, the first wave of God's people begin to come back. The Persians said you could go back home. And so the, the first wave of God's people begin to come back to the promised land, to, to Jerusalem and Israel and Judah. And they came back to devastation. The, their homes were destroyed. The, the defensive walls were destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Everything was in ruin. And they had to decide, what are we going to build first? What are we going to focus on first? And they decided, we're going to focus on the temple and the altar so we can make sacrifices. We're going to get things right with God first. Ezra chapter 3, verse 3. The, the holiest day of the year, the day of atonement was coming. And this is what we read in Ezra uh, 3, 3. Despite the fear of the peoples around them, in other words, the storm was blowing. I mean, the wind was blowing. There was reason to be afraid. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord both the morning and evening sacrifices. The storm hadn't stopped. The wind hadn't stopped blowing. But the people of God said, we're going to get this right first. There's other things we have to attend to. There's other things we're going to build on top of this. But we're going to get our relationship with God right first. We're going to rest everything else we do on the foundation of God. And you and I have to make the same decision. We have to decide, what am I building on? What's at the bottom of my life? What's holding everything else up? And what can sustain me through the hard times of life? When Jesus used the word rock, <clears throat> there's a couple of words he could have chosen from. One of them is little rock or piece of rock. That's not, what he, that's not the word he used. He didn't say build your house on a little rock. He chose the word that means massive rock, unshakable rock, sturdy and stable and able to withstand anything that your life will ever go through. If you build your life on Him, it's on a rock that will stand. And periodically, we need to ask ourselves, what am I, what am I really building on? Not, not, not what do I say I'm building on, not what I want to be true. What am I putting my ultimate trust in? Who am I believing in? What am I hoping in above everything else? And if it's not Jesus, it's sand. Some of us this morning, the wind's not blowing in our life. The flood's not rising. The rain's not falling. And that's great. That's a great time to say, I need to get this right. I need to make sure that my life is sitting on the rock of Jesus. And some of us are in the storm. And like the Israelites in Ezra, we need to say, despite what's going on around me, I need to get this right. I need to put my life my heart, my hope, my everything on the person of Jesus. What are you, what are you building on? What, what, what's the foundation of your life? 
Because what you will find is that everything about your life, everything about the storms that are to come in your life, the wind and the rain and the floods, Jesus is the only one capable of bearing those. If Jesus could bear the weight of the cross, He can bear the weight of whatever's coming in your life. He can bear the weight of whatever you're walking through, and He can do it stable and sure and confident. And if there's, if there's anything on the foundation, is there anything other than Jesus on the foundation, if there's anything other than Jesus, we have a tendency, like, like a contractor in northeast Florida, we have a tendency to kind of throw things down there and hope they last. And, and, and eventually, they're going to rot, and they're going to go away. If there's anything else under there, in the words of Jesus, our lives are going to experience a great crash one day. A tremendous crash. When all that we're hoping in gives way, put your hope, your faith, your security in Jesus only. Let's pray. Just in the quietness of this moment, just kind of dig down to the bottom of your life as best you can. And if there are things that are a part of the foundation other than Jesus, just get those right right now. Say, God, it's it's a good part of my life. I want this a part of my life, but I can't build my life on anything but you. Maybe you need to trust Jesus for the very first time today. Maybe, maybe for the very first time, you need to admit that you can't order your life apart from Christ. You've tried and tried and tried. You can't carry the weight of your life apart from Jesus can't bear the burdens of your life apart from Jesus. And maybe today would be the moment when you give him everything, when you put all of your hope and faith in him and he receives you as his child. Do that. Don't just hear it. Don't just hear it today. Don't just think this is a good idea. Do something with it. Choose. Say yes. Step into faith today. God, our world is full of wind and rain and flood. Circumstances we never saw coming and never expected. Instability and insecurity. But there is a rock whose foundation is sure. His name is Jesus. He came and gave his life for us. He rose again for our sins. Not just to get us to heaven, but to give us a foundation to live our lives from. Help us not to be deceived by the sand of this world, but to rest everything in the person of Jesus, the rock of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.